You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome to episode two of Together in Literacy. You know, it's Dyslexia Awareness Month. In our world, we talk about dyslexia all year long. (laughs) So, but we wanted to do a special episode for all of you. Why that social emotional learning really needs to be a part of our dyslexia instruction. And we are excited to dive in. So we got a lot of information to go (laughs) with all of you. So let's get started. All right. So Casey, you're talking a little bit about those common myths. Yeah, there are Mm. still a lot of common myths or misunderstandings that um, exist or circle dyslexia. I'm glad that we're having worldwide conversations about dyslexia because it can cross all languages. But I think with that, you know, there still is some of that misunderstanding out there. So, right. And Casey and I had an important distinction and we think there's, there's misunderstanding. There's a lot of them that have been perpetuated for a long time, but there's also limited understanding. There are people who may know a little bit, but just not enough. And we're not going to go into a big long list because we know there's a lot of information out there about the common myths floating around, but we have two that we feel like really get to the heart of the social emotional learning piece that are extremely impactful. And one of them is the myth that we cannot diagnose for dyslexia until a child is in third grade. Yep. <sighs> I'm sorry to breathe so deeply. Into that. I just have to take a deep breath when I say that because that is a myth. However, it is something that so many teachers hear from school staff, from whoever may be doing the testing. I'm sorry. Or we, and communicated to parents we can't test for dyslexia until someone's in the third grade. Casey, you've heard that. I have. I call it the wait to fail model. Oh, yes. The wait to fail model. Mm -hmm. It's we wait for the child to completely fail, totally falter. And why? And why are we doing that? There's really no need. There is 
There's so much good research here. I'm, I really am privileged to live in the Boston area because I hear a lot about the amazing research going on at Children's Hospital with Dr. Nadine Gab, who has worked tirelessly to mm-hmm. prove that myth wrong, that we absolutely can screen and see signs of reading failure and dyslexia at a much, much earlier age, even yeah. as young as preschool, they're saying. Yeah. So just want to really clear that up because if we're waiting for a child to fail in third grade, when that social emotional learning and their self-talk is already starting to build up about how they feel as a reader, we are putting them at the base of a very large mountain to climb. We are. And, and kids know, they know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even young kindergartners, they can, they're smart. They look around and they see that they're not getting what their peers are understanding. And they start to have that self-talk of I'm dumb or I don't get it. And that impact, we see that happening at very young ages in, in Emily's work and my work. Um, that's something that is why we, we wanted to talk about this because the social emotional piece is woven so deeply into our students that we have, that we address that in our sessions that, you know, we really can't separate that emotional piece out from our therapy work with our students. Right. I've seen it with first graders that mm-hmm. I've worked with and over the years. So no, that is a myth. We do not have to wait till third grade. We can use a preventative model. Yeah. More on that later. Right, Casey? <laughs> Yes, we can have a whole episode talking about the preventative model because it is so important, right? We we don't want our children to, if we can be preventative and we can provide that instruction early, that's appropriate and addresses those areas that are at risk, then man, we can close that gap so much quicker for our students and we can, we can save, we can preserve their self-esteem, which is so important. Huge, huge. Yes. All right. So that was one of the myths we just wanted to put out there to all of you. Yeah. Casey, what's the next one? Really, yeah. really sticks in our craw. <laughs> yes. The other one that I think really is perpetuated primarily by not having a deep enough understanding of dyslexia is that our students just aren't trying hard enough. Our students are really intelligent. I think that that's also something that maybe there are not provided opportunities in school for them to highlight their intelligence, but our children are really intelligent. And because of that, a lot of them will fly under teachers' radars. And so teachers may feel that they just need to try harder or they need to practice more or that they're not giving it their all. Um, And so when we have that limited understanding of dyslexia and, and the impact that it has not only on the emotional components for our students, but also understanding dyslexia at the level of understanding the brain and the processing systems, that we can perhaps say things to children that negatively impact their self-esteem and make them feel like I am am trying as hard as I can. And you don't see that, you don't see me, you don't understand me. And it can then fall into where children will exhibit other behaviors. You know, they may have avoidance behaviors or they may um, act out. Nobody wants to be highlighted for things that are hard for them and then not be understood. Right, Um, And, and so important. I think 
and we're not only discussing this from the classroom standpoint from also from the home life and families who just may not have that they don't have a background in in education and teaching and 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 we can't fault them for that but it's so so helpful if we can communicate to parents what this looks like and that yes it's not a matter of your child just needs to try harder or um you're just not giving it your all there's a lot more at play right and you know practicing something that isn't working over and over again isn't going to help move us forward (laughs) right Um, and, and I think it's, you know, I, I'm so excited to see that schools are talking about the, you know, social emotional learning. And I think it's amazing that we're having these lessons and it's so important for all of our children, but I also feel like we don't want to miss this connection between addressing the instructional needs and how those link to that emotional knowledge and learning as well. I think that those really do go hand in hand when you don't feel good about yourself and what you're able to produce or do that directly connects to your emotional state. So I think if we can link the two and we can really address the instructional needs in the way that research tells us, and we can catch the kids early and not wait for them to fail while we still address that social emotional learning piece, man, our kids can fly. Yes. There's, I have to echo that there is, there's such good work going on with our social emotional learning pieces. And we know that schools are addressing that. Mm -hmm. And now we would just love to see more schools addressing the literacy piece and working on that in tandem. And we really believe that when we are working on it in tandem, that's where we see the, not just, not just progress, effective progress. So some of the things that just to sort of move past the the data. Yeah, we have some data and, you know, we don't want to make this into a gloom and doom episode for all of you, but the data, it doesn't lie. And these are some statistics out there that we really feel like are so critical that action needs to be taken. And we've known about them a long, long time. This is not new. But one of the big statistics out of when we're talking about your National Center for uh, Institutes for Literacy, National Center for Adult Literacy, looking at the U.S. Census Bureau, we've got about 45 million people who are illiterate in the country. And, you know, we don't want to just talk about illiteracy. We're also addressing a term we'd like to put in there of subliteracy, people who just aren't taught to read effectively. They may just be scraping by, not completely illiterate, just kind of just squeaking by here. And when we look at that figure, that figure is pretty huge. It is, it becomes extremely pervasive and creeps into all aspects of our society, not just talking about higher suicide rates and dropout prison rates, all of that it becomes a major social justice issue. Right, Casey? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a big piece. I know for Emily and for myself that literacy and, and being able to read um, opens doors. And without that, we do have ceilings and we don't want that for any of our children. And really that literacy has become a social issue. It's always been a social issue, but I'm glad to see that the conversations 
are circling that more in that we know that it's a civil right. We, we need to be able to read and read well and have that all those opportunities provided to us in order to do so. And when we read well, think about it, employment, mm-hmm. our relationships with one another, our decision-making, being able to have the opportunities that all of us really deserve to push for and strive to achieve are, are there for us, but without literacy, that just really isn't there. So there is just such a linkage here. We're trying to get our point across that the social emotional learning piece can be integral in what we're doing with our literacy instruction. And when we do, we are, and I don't say this really with exaggeration, but we are really saving children here. We're saving lives. And we just don't want to see these statistics any further. This takes a lot of, lot of change. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, as parents and as, as educators, when we see a student get something, you see them, you see that, that light shine from them. And that's what we all want. Right. And, and that confidence build, and that's part of that emotional stability and, and expression that we want our children to have. We want them to feel good about what they're doing. And, And that really comes back to us, making sure that we're addressing those instructional needs and those emotional needs at the same time. Some of the things that we've talked a little bit about the myths and some of the data out there and why we really need to be doing what we're doing. But, you know, some of the behaviors, Casey, and I wanted to address that some things that you might be seeing with kids who do struggle with learning, who may have dyslexia. We just wanted to sort of talk about some of the things that you might see by ages and stages. Mm -hmm. And we're going to type this up into a little list and put it on the website, www.togetherinliteracy.com. So you'll be able to see that. But we have seen this in the students we've worked with over the years. And these are the, some of the things that sort of come up, I think, when we're noticing, hmm, why isn't this child making progress? Why aren't they reading as expected at this point? And starting around kindergarten and first grade, we might see some children who just sort of don't want to be read to at night, maybe you know, your preschooler, your kindergartner, maybe they're just not interested in hearing some of the stories that you have or silly songs and nursery rhymes, or maybe they're just having a hard time when you are talking about letters and numbers. They're just sort of avoiding you. Just not showing any sort of interest in there. But as you get into second and third grade, we start to see things like, hmm, homework seems a little bit harder now, maybe, or maybe they don't want to pick up a book or they float from book to book, right? A lot of, a lot of browsers, I noticed <laughs> at that age. So there's a little more of that avoidance behavior that comes up, but there's also, I think what happens, especially around grades three and four, that self-talk starts to creep in a little bit more whether they feel successful or not, what they're seeing their peers doing. Oh, my, you know, my friend is reading this book. Why am I not reading that by now? Homework becomes a little bit harder. So there's a little more anger coming out at home or impatience, especially in third grade. I noticed that, you know, families would come home and just say they're just kind of totally melting down at home. Yeah. And I don't know why parents would ask me about that. You know, they're holding it together all day long. 
and home is their safe space. Hopefully it is. And it's just so, so difficult. And as that self-talk creeps in even more, we say it can go in either direction. It can say, I can do this. Or can say, you know what? I am no good. I stink at this. So I'm just not going to do it. Or if somebody asks me to, I'm going to find every way I can to avoid it. And that becomes much stronger and stronger as a child gets older, especially into middle school, where they're having a hard time even with organizing all the assignments that are coming in from different teachers and projects And things really mount up in what happens now as a child gets into the adolescent years, peer relationships, I think, start to be affected. And as we get into high school, you may even start to see some poor choices being made and Mm -hmm. substance abuse. And so they're just being able to find employment as an adult, being able to go on job interviews. All of these things just mount up over time. When we're looking at social emotional behaviors of someone with dyslexia or someone that struggles with learning and it it doesn't improve. That's why that third grade myth there, uh, that wait to fail model isn't helping these people. Right. You know, I left anything else out there. I mean, I think, yeah, you gave kind of that. I I love that you talked about that because I I think that's something that as parents and as teachers, we can always keep in the back of our mind that behavior is communication Mm -hmm. and paying attention to those behaviors and then trying to figure out where they're coming from, right? Like, why is it every time that I get out the letters, this happens, or when we do this particular task, this happens. And working together with parents to try to pinpoint those particular areas, if it's, if they're seeing those same things at home as they're seeing at school, and then, and then doing that screening and and getting the child, the appropriate instruction that they need, because I do think behavior really is communication and it can tell us so much. Right. And yet, you know, for the younger kiddos, they don't know how to express exactly what's going on here. When things aren't happening as expected, you know, they might be seeing all of their peers catching on. And they're looking around like, what am I missing here? So yes, it's so important to, as you said, to look at those behaviors, but also really to see, is this happening at home and in the classroom? Mm -hmm. So that communication between families and teachers is just so important. Once again, we'll have that checklist of behaviors developmentally, what you'd see in different ages and stages of emotional development for you. Um, So be sure to look for that. And we'll try to link to that in the show notes and so forth. Okay. We had decided that we had come up with a really nice, I think, lengthy list of action steps for for all of you, but we're going to shorten it a little bit. (laughs) We did. Um, You know, I think action steps are great, but I think I know for me, I do much better if it's in smaller chunks. So Mm -hmm. when we're thinking about what can we do then, right? We, We know we have children that we're seeing having some of these links with their social emotional learning and their um, educational learning. And so I think some of the things that we can, that we can do to start to address dyslexia and social emotional learning is, you know, the first thing we can do is actually say dyslexia. There is power in our words. And I know for my students, when they had received their diagnosis, they had done their testing and they, they were able to hang their hat on the reason why they had been struggling. 
you could see this weight roll off their shoulders because they could, they then were able to understand why they had been struggling. So I think it is important for us to use the word dyslexia, to say dyslexia, um, and then help our children understand dyslexia at a deep enough level so that it is not something to be ashamed of. It is just something that it is part of your learning process and for you to understand yourself better as a learner. Um, and I know Emily and I, we want to dive into some of those metacognitive aspects in some future episodes. Um, but, yeah. you know, start saying dyslexia. I think that that's a really important actionable step for us as a community to, to begin to use those terms. Absolutely. So empowering. I remember one of my students being able to create a whole presentation about dyslexia in an after-school program for the other kids to watch. I love that. And when he was able to do that, wow. Talk yeah. about empowering. It, oh, just an amazing, amazing experience. And being able to educate your peers. Yeah. Um, and let them know. So whether it's through a children's book, a little presentation, a YouTube video, a classroom discussion, something. We want everyone to say dyslexia and not be afraid to say dyslexia, that it helps. It can only help yes. to call it what it is um, and to help our children feel empowered and not hindered by that. Right. And even in, I think it was 2015 or maybe 2017, I can't remember yes. my exactly, but the um, U.S. Department of Education sent out a letter encouraging schools across our nation to say the term mm -hmm. dyslexia. Right. So um, sometimes I get messages from teachers or families or even, you know, school administrators that have been informed they can't say the word dyslexia, but yes, we can and we need yes. to. Yeah. And, and I, I understand I've taught in districts where we were told not to use that term. Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. Mm -hmm. But like Casey said, yep, 2015, there was, so we're talking, you know, six years ago, there's nothing stopping us from saying it yeah. and calling it what it is. There's and no reason, there's no need to. There's not. And we can link that letter in the show notes. That too. would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. Let's be sure to do that. Um, um and then the, the other actual step that we, we would love to leave you with is, you know, to speak up for early screening with Yay! appropriate instruction and interventions for our students. You know, we want to make sure we're, we're catching those students um, that have red flags or, you know, at risk for reading um, problems and then providing them with appropriate instruction at the core level and interventions so that we can meet both their instructional needs while we're weaving in those social emotional growth for our students. Yes. And, you know, kudos to all the states that have put forth that legislation. I know here in Massachusetts, we've done that for putting in uh, screening for dyslexia and child find and all of that. It, it's wonderful. We have the, to be able to put those early yeah. screening measures in place. Well, if you have that, but you don't have the next steps, the actionable ste steps to intervene, there's really no point in screening, my friends. <laughs> well, you're kind of at a standstill. Then right. you, know, you know there's something wrong, but what do you do? So um, yeah, I think 
having those actionable steps is going to be important and, and start to have those conversations. So, you know, as we, we leave you today, we want to just kind of leave you with those action steps, start saying dyslexia, start asking questions and speaking up for early screeners with appropriate instruction and intervention. And, you know, as we continue on with our episodes, we definitely want to be diving deeper into how we can address that social emotional learning with our dyslexic learners in a way that builds their metacognitive skills, um, their ability to think about their thinking um, in a way that helps really address both their academics and emotional needs. So we're excited about those. I am so excited to dive into more of the metacognitive discussion um, that kids love being able to talk about the brain, learn more about it, right? What they're thinking about and being able to communicate that uh, to one another and to us. So uh, I'm really looking forward to those upcoming episodes. We're also, we'll also talk about maybe a few book suggestions because Casey and I love talking about books. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, thank you so much. Please be sure to, uh, check the show notes. And we also have follow-up blog posts that accompany these podcast episodes. Um, So you can go to www.togetherinliteracy.com and be sure to look there and uh, look for any other freebies we might attach to those where those are definitely in the works. Uh, And we will see you back here for episode three, please be sure to let us know what you think. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.